Welcome to the Infamous Hour Live. I'm your host, the Infamous Amadeus, all social media platforms at the Infamous Amadeus. And of course, follow Boom Bap Nation. Happy Thanksgiving to the people that are watching right now. Hopefully, you got collard greens and an active uh, palette of food um, on your Thanksgiving palette. Peace and respect to everyone. And uh, of course, here on the Infamous Hour, we are about hip-hop, about that boom bap, about the real hip-hop shit. And there's no one who represents that more than the guy on my right side. Representing Lawrence. Y'all town, let's go. Lawrence, Massachusetts, terminology. Welcome to the Infamous Hour. Peace, my brother. How are you? You were on the Infamous Hour early. I think we did it during COVID, like early on. Probably like you were on like episode like two or three. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. That's so funny. I had a very interesting conversation with Fredro Starr. Shout out to Onyx. Shout out to Sticky, the whole team. Yes, sir. And I had asked Fredro, I'm like, why are you doing music at this point? Like, you guys are booked overseas and he's like i want to have as much albums as terminology <laughs> wow that's a compliment man shout out to fredro uh that that's dope man that's dope i'm happy to hear uh you know my name being spoken in that light yeah you know what i mean 45 albums is not an easy accomplishment obviously we got the new project out now right on the intro and he said 44 but there's right. like a unique story behind that yeah so what happened was um i was on my 44th project I had texted Slay. I think it was one of the last times we spoke because me and, me and Slay were uh, very close, did a lot of work with him. And I was like, yo, I want you to do my intro to my next album. I sent him the beat. Static did the beat. I gave him the drop script. Mm -hmm. He sent it right back. Had to be like the next day. So he said something to the effect of, you know, turn, man, it's your 44th album. You still spitting fire. Talk to him. Something like that. And then, um, like, right after that, he got sick. And um, at the same time, I got the deal for the Paul Wall album. Mm -hmm. So the Paul Wall album ended up being my 44th. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, he never he never came out of it. So yeah. I, I couldn't get him to go back in and change it to 45. But there was no way in the world we wasn't using the drop of course, yeah. over something small like that. Mm -hmm. So so it's funny because people have been running up to me on the streets like, yo, 45, that's crazy. And so people's like, yo, 45. You know, if you follow the social media, you see that I was kind of bigging it up because it is a milestone for me. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, rest in peace, K-Slade, man. That was my guy, one of the first people uh, in New York radio to believe in me. You know, been doing his show, freestyling on his show since 06. Um, you know, him just putting me on his tapes. I did 14 verses for him. I'm on the 50, the rolling 50 deep, the rolling 110 deep. There's a there's a rolling 200 deep that we did that, that didn't come out yet and hopefully will come out. But yeah, man, I, one of my main things that I love to do is, is putting out projects. And I find when I work with a lot of up-and-coming artists, they're great at rapping, um... They're great at spitting freestyles. Sometimes they're even great at doing songs. But they very rarely are great at putting out projects. Mm. So I'm kind of been like a mentor to a lot of people where I'm the person that just lights the flame that helps them get the project out. Because for me, that's what really matters in the end is the end result. Otherwise, you'll just have mad artists with mad songs that just never put nothing out. And then they quit. They give up. They get married. They have kids. They go to jail. They fall off. They lose passion. So, you know, to me, it's like, yo, once it comes out, they can't take it from you. Yeah. And I, I just kind of always looked at it like that. And so, yeah, it's been 20 years now. We're on number 46. Yeah. 
do you think a part of that is about conditioning in a sense where, you know, a lot of us are raised from the 90s infrastructure, right? So it's like you were conditioned to drop a project and ride that for two years. Do you think a lot of guys are kind of stuck in that wave instead of adjusted to what hip hop is now? Maybe the OGs, um, not the not the youth. The youth, I mean, if I was operating the way that these guys do it now. What do you consider now, the youth at this point, right? Because we have an older yeah. crop of artists. So, like, youth is almost like 35 Okay, so so we're gonna go with some biblical terminology. We're gonna say BC, right? But that means before CDs. Okay, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> so like, 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 like before when we were dropping CDs, you you could only drop one album a year because if you flopped, you couldn't get another deal. Yeah. So in the beginning of my career, I was actually going slow. Mm -hmm. I could have dropped four albums a year, but I would have flopped. Mm -hmm. So we had to take mad time, pay all these producers, clear these samples, set up a press run, press the vinyl, press the CD, and you had to stay away from fourth quarter because that was like Jay-Z, Ludacris, that was the big dogs, mm -hmm. and you wasn't and Best Buy wasn't going to pick up your CD because they're already buying a thousand Jay-Z CDs. So it was like there was rules to this shit. And um, in the beginning... It was like you were trying so hard to make sure your shit was successful so you could hopefully get a major deal or you can keep getting independent bags. And um, I would say, like, the game all changed when iTunes came into it. And it, and it, and it just kind of turned more into, like, independent became the wave. So I would say, like, um, so this era, you can drop 12 albums in a year. You can lock in the studio, make 10 songs in a month have your man do a cover, drop it, and if five people buy it, you still dropped it. Mm -hmm. So in my era, you had to drop the album and be successful. Or you got dropped and got labeled a flop. So these people, you know, this era, they're not getting labeled flops unless you're a major artist, and then, you know, you got everybody critiquing your numbers yeah. and putting you up against whoever. Okay, Drake and uh, 21 Savage yeah. came out, 300K. Well, your terminology only did 5K. Oh, yeah. he's, 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 he's flopped. So that was kind of like a lot in my era. But in this era, I think people are less concerned with the numbers and more concerned with just consuming the music directly. Yeah. Uh, in your opinion, is that a losing formula as far as building records? Because we're also coming from a radio perspective, both of us, right? Yeah. So it's like you don't have time to kind of get behind a song in a sense because mm -hmm. guys are dropping records so much. So is yeah. that in the biggest in the bigger scheme of things hurting lyricism kind of going back to the forefront? It's hurting, you know, what I would say is it's hurting. Like mainstream-wise. Yeah, it's hurting, it's hurting bringing up underground artists into the light because – they're not focused on making a big record anymore that sticks. They're focused on just making sure they got some content out. Mm -hmm. And that's when the game changed. So before, it would be like, you know, if if Inf played your record four weeks in a row, you're like, whoa, it's picking up. It's yeah. picking up on Mix Show. Yeah. What's next? What other DJs can we service? What other shows can we do? How else can we get this record popping? Because that's what kept you on tour. That's what kept your legacy going. Oh, that's the guy from this song. So many times I tell people about an artist, they don't know the name, and then I'd be like, I say the song and they know the song. So now it's like, you know, in 2022, almost everybody don't know your song, but they might have seen you freestyle somewhere or might, you know, have seen you on the gram or this, that, or the third. But having the song, that is missing from an underground hip-hop. So I think it's very important that shows like your show and Static Show and, um, you know, Tony Touch, the few guys that are still doing Boom Bap and still finding one hot song and playing it consecutively four weeks in a row and not saying after two weeks, oh, it's old already, I played that last week, which is the format now, 
because everybody wants exclusives. Yeah. But we're not making hits anymore. Yeah, I kind of feel like that hurts in a sense where like certain shows are like forcing you in a sense to continue to drop records and yeah. not giving your record a chance to actually build because they want the new heat and they're servicing like a super underground audience in a sense. Yeah. So I was impressed when 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 I seen you because you tagged me when you play the records sometimes. And when you kept playing the Fredjo song over and over, I was impressed because I'm like, it's it's been a while since this the same DJ played the same song every week and didn't look at it like it was getting old. Me personally, I'm trying to create a different format in a sense because I'm on prime time. I'm on at noon, so it's okay. I'm catering to a different audience, and it's right after Sway. So okay, how do we actually build the record to the point where? A regular fan in Wyoming could hear a terminology record with Fred, uh, with a fragile star, whoever you have in your project, and right. repeat the words over and over again. You're right, bro, and I appreciate that. And I think that it's it's a conversation that needs to be had more. And mm-hmm. like when I came here, this I didn't think we were gonna have that conversation, but I'm happy we did because yeah. that, that's that's real for sure. A part of this uh, determination intro, you have you, you have Case, but you also have Sway talking on it as well. Yeah. Like yeah. what is so? Where is that soundbite from? And more importantly, what does Sway mean to the culture? Right. Sway. Sway is the culture, man. Sway. Sway's been around since the beginning. You know, not the beginning like Case Slay. You know, Slay was in the park in '79, like creating hip hop and shit. Uh, but anyway, uh, Sway, Sway is, is an OG and, and he means everything to the culture, man. And I love Sway and he, um, he's done so much for me that he didn't have to do. And it's, I don't only love him for what he did for me. I love him for what he did for hip hop. But for me specifically, like, you know, when I first started coming around Sway in like 04, 05, I was coming in the game with Static and DJ Premier. So I was coming in the game with the right people. So at least, you know, he took me serious because he knew if, if DJ Premier and Static were co-signing me, then I had to have bars and at least I had some good production and I was, you know, going in the right direction of keeping hip-hop alive. So he always kind of took a liking to me, but I think that um, now, because he's seen my growth over the 20-year process, like now he has a whole different respect for me. So recently when I dropped the album with Paul Wall and I went up to um, his show, on Sway in the morning, he was just like, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud. He, he told Paul, like, I'm proud of you too, Paul, because I knew you forever too. But this guy, you don't understand. Like, this guy is underground, and he just don't stop, and he's relentless, and he, he keeps doing it. And I'm just so proud to see where he's at, from the collaborations to the Good Dad Gang to putting out over 40 projects. So it's kind of cool that um he keeps his ear to the street, and, and he shows, you know, shows me that love. That clip is actually from 2016. When I went up on Sway in the morning um, for my solo album, More Politics, mm-hmm. and that 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 clip was just one of those ones where he was really, really co-signing me to the world and to his fan base. Like, yo, nah, this guy got it. Like, he's doing it. He's doing it for the culture. He loves hip hop, and he, you know, he's here to stay and stuff like that. So I, it was kind of funny. It just hit me that it fit. It just fit the song. Yeah. When I heard the project with Paul Wall. I had to almost do a double take. I didn't understand that he was actually like a lyricist. Yeah. In a sense. Because we, we know Paul <laughs> Wall from like the, yeah. set, the Southern Vibe. Right. And he was really barring it out on this. Right. So going on a project with you, is his approach a little different in a sense? Because you're barring out all the time. Yeah, it was. It was. I think that... um. I think he's been barring it out, but I think he was... I think he was marketed as like such a niche artist that the time he came out like the sing-songy pop 
Paul Wall that we all know, the guy who created Grills mm-hmm. with, with Johnny Dang and did Grills with Nelly. And um, we all know him from these big songs that are, are so sing-songy. And I think that um, all the marketing money that got put into Paul Wall as we know him was more him doing the slow flow. Yeah. You know, it's Paul Wall, baby. Yeah. What you know about me? That's he was rhyming with that cadence. Yeah. And then and then, and then you got me coming in like anybody get shot about about it, about it. Like so it's two different worlds. But the thing is that um he had did an album with static first. Mm-hmm. He did a, a EP called Give Thanks. It was like seven joints. And he was barring it down the whole time. And I'm like, okay, so he could rap like this. He just needs those kind of beats. Yeah. So once he needs a production he to accommodate. That. Right. And then when the pandemic happened, because that album was 2019, when the pandemic happened, we couldn't do shows. Everybody was kind of locked in the crib. Mm-hmm. So he texted me like, yo, what you working on? Send me a beat. You know, I got a studio in the crib. I'll knock it out tonight. Boom. So I sent him Thailand, which is funny because that ended up being the biggest song on the album. So boom, he sends it right back within like 24 hours. Killed it. I'm like, OK, yo, you got something else? Send him something mm-hmm. else. Boom. I sent him the damn grease joint. Sent it right back. Boom. I'm like, okay. So he like, shit, let's make an EP. Fuck it. We already, shit's already sounding good. So then I went and grabbed all the static beats and the P-Rock beat and all that. So it was just, it's just crazy how it worked out. But, um, you know, once, once we started make, we decided to make an album, he kind of told me like, yo, I'm trusting you. Mm-hmm. I'm trusting static. If you tell me that Millie's is the next hot cat and he's fire. That's what I'm going to get on. And right. On. If you telling me that he's the guy, cause yeah. you know, over like night, some of these guys blow up, right? Yeah. And Millie's been putting in work for a long time. I'm not saying this overnight, but from when we started mm-hmm. to where he got within a 48-month period or 24-month period, it's crazy. It's leaps and bounds. So he gets on the record uh, with Millie's. He gets on the record with Nems. You know, this is before Bing Bong. This mm-hmm. is before Viral Nems. Yeah. This is just spitting Nems. So it's um, Fly Anakin. It's a bunch of cats that's buzzing in the underground, specifically New York-style underground. And um, when the album ends up coming out, those casts are popping off. Bing mm-hmm. Bong's out. Yeah. Millie's got big and records Bing out. Crazy. They got like a billion. It's out of, of control, uh, like TikTok. a TikTok, right? Yeah. And then and then Millie started making crazy noise and big collaborations and um, big cosigns and big 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 views on the videos and everything. So, just like me and Static believing in you know Millie's Nems, Fly Anakin, some of the other people, we already rock with them forever. And then them getting on the Paul Wall album, and at the same time that album dropped, those cats blew up. He was like, he was like, "Yo, man, I knew, I knew y'all knew what y'all was talking about." But you know, that's one part of it. But let's put that aside. We're just talking rhymes. Mm-hmm. He's he's on there spitting with Nems, with Millies, with terminology, with with uh, with all of us, and, and barring sh- it out, and bar and having the best verse on some of the joints, right? So it was like it was fire because it, it took a lot of people by surprise. Um, almost every interview, every 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 interview we did, we went up to No Jumper, we went to Vibe Magazine, you know, Sway in the Morning, Bootleg Kev, all these places we went to. Everybody's like, so how the fuck does a Paul Wall and yeah. Term album happen? <laughs> it just doesn't. Yeah, I don't it get it. It sounds weird. In but then sense, yeah. you know they're like, but I listen to the album and it's fucking great. I don't. Yeah. How did this happen? You know. So it was a blessing in disguise. We just did a show yesterday in Minnesota at the Caboose. It was sold out, five hundred people. And we, what we did was he did three songs, then I did three, then he did three, then I did three, and then I ended it with, you know, my big song, and he ended it with, with his big song. So it was a success, and we're going to take that show on the road and keep it going because the people seem to like it. Mm-hmm. You and Static have a group called 1982, but beyond that, Static has an additional, I guess it's a group with him and Bun B, right? And so we have this yeah. 
live recording of an album. Yeah. Is it Trill Static? Is that... Yeah, Trill Static is like that album. Like, you know... So so explain this, right? Because yeah. this, this was a big fucking deal yeah. in hip-hop. Like, I was mm -hmm. hearing guys were watching it, like, live, and they were actually coming in, yeah. like, calling... Right. Static, like, listen, I'm going to come in right now. And, and that was our, well, you. this is the thing, right? That started in 2009, 2010. That was our thing, right? Like, Static started it with Saigon. Him and Static. Like, live recording. Well, they project. did the album in a day, okay? Right? Then, after that, me and Static did an album in a day. Back before social media is what it is now, you had this thing called live stream. Mm -hmm. So, he had the live stream on the computer just going like this. Mm -hmm. And we'd be counting. Yo, Literally like, recording. Recording, recording the album. I'm writing the rhymes on the spot. I'm laying it down on the spot. We got guests coming through. Laying Are down you guys there. mixing as well or Everything. just tracking? We put it out that night. Really? So the first one was Saigon. Then it was me and Static. It was Static and Freeway. They won. Mm -hmm. Right? And, uh, and Static. And it was one other person. So it was me. Me and Stat. Saigon and Stat. Stat and Freeway. Stat did it with one other person. And then um, Static and Bun. So when it got to Bun, it was like we already mastered it. You know what I'm saying? We had we did it through different eras, and we knew that we can pull it off. Mm -hmm. And by the time it got to Bun, it was like we had a whole crew. We had a title behind us. There's like you come down the hallway, you go into the interview room, and Destroy's interviewing you. Then you come into the room over here. We got alcohol. So it's we got literally people a full weed. production. It's a full production. But Bun B just sat there, picked a beat. A rapper walk through the door. He has a blank paper. Mm. Writes his rhyme. Him and Fat Joe do a song. Boom. Fat Joe steps out. Him and Met the Man do a song. Boom. Him, me, Westside Gun. We do concrete. Boom. Westside and I step out. Boom. Next guy steps in. And at the end of the night, you got 10 songs. Mm -hmm. You know, so you start at 2 p.m. You finish at 2 a.m. Static takes two, three hours mixing it. Put it right out that night. Boom. Album in the day. That's crazy. And so the next one is coming up December 7th. Mm -hmm. So we're doing that one live December 7th. Sweet Chicks. too at Sweet Chick, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's lit, man. I mean, I love being a part of it. I've been there since the beginning. And, you know, I love everything that I bring to the table creatively and just knowing the artists and picking beats, naming songs, whatever I got to do to make the project better, man. That's what I like to do. I remember early on, just as, you know, just a young hip-hop fan seeing you in Unsigned Hype. Yeah. Source. And that, that was such a covenant space to be in. Right. Just as an artist, as a lyricist. You know, how much has media dropped the ball in this process, looking from where you was in Unsa Hype to how media acts now? You got outlets like The Shade Room. You got outlets. Just all these guys, they're kind of exposing things in a, in a negative way in a sense. Do, yeah. do you think media has dropped the ball? Not only that, does media properly focus on lyrics as the way they should be? Yeah, I mean, it just, it takes away the mystique of the artist. I think that, you know, when you read an article on an artist and that's all you know about them, you saw a couple pictures, you're like, okay, they either know how to dress or they don't, or I like their outfit or I don't, or um, I like what they said or I don't, or I want to know more about this artist. That was all you got if you picked up the Source magazine in 2005. That was what terminology is the unsigned hype. This is where he's from. This is what he looks like. These are the people that co-signed him. This is his new record out. Go find it. See, see if you find it. See if you like it. The fan was created in that way, and now where we're documenting our every move. Y'all just woke up. I had a monster like energy. Literally on Yo, the second you wake up, media. yo, now I'm chilling with Inf. Yo, now I just gave yeah. away some turkeys in the projects. Yo, I'm going to bed. I'm watching Scarface. Yo, I'm taking a shower. Yo, today I'm wearing red. Yo, tomorrow I'm wearing the Balenciaga. Like, it's like, it's cool because you get, you get to see everything. But sometimes, like, our favorite rappers end up being corny. 
and we like don't even like them anymore because we thought they were who they were on the record, and now they're not that. Yeah, and it's weird because you personally meet them, and it becomes weird in a sense where yeah. guys have kind of sold you a story. They sold you a story in a sense where. Okay, this is who I was, and yeah. we didn't have social media, so we you might had to believe, believe what they. You might believe it, and not only the fake gangster shit, because that's always gonna be, you know, that's that's always been in hip hop and always will be. But beyond beyond somebody lying about how much money they have or how many girls they get or how much drugs they sell or how gangster street they are, beyond all of that, it's just like just taking all the mystique away from an artist is mm-hmm. just is has drastically damaged like how cool it is to like really be invested in the artist, you know? And now where everything coming and going, it's like, yo, any little thing, you do any little thing and you're canceled. So let's say you grew up loving an artist for like 10 years and you bought all their albums and then they come walk out of Sweet Chick and get sucker punched and now it's, oh, he's a bitch, fuck him. Yeah, now it's viral. What happened? You bought all his albums? Like, you never got punched before or can't get punched tomorrow. Like, so I just feel like it's so weird and so like um unrealistic right and i think like all right so let's say let's say a girl like cheats on her man and then now it's on the shade room oh this girl cheated on this celebrity and now everybody's like oh she's a hoe she's this that fuck that bitch da, da, da. but your mom cheated on your dad and you still say hi to her every day yeah. so make it make sense you know a dude a dude a celebrity slaps his wife now he's a woman beater he's canceled your dad smacked your mom you still say bendy song every day you love him when you see him but make it make sense. Why does it have to only apply to to um to celebrities? They're people just like you. They're no better, they're no worse. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's kind of we're in a weird space where like people hold celebrities like to this weird standard. You know what I mean? And, I and it's kinda hate that. It shit. feels super unfair in a sense where you every move is documented. Now, you coming from New England. Yeah. Why is it we haven't had more artists pop from New England? So we got very selective few. We got yeah. you, static. Join the Lucas, Guru. Yep. Millie's. Millie's. But beyond that, and I always found New England to be a very particular place. I remember when I was, a uh, quick side note, I remember when I was about to f- stop filming, I went to Lawrence and we did a documentary. I still have the footage. I brought you to every project in my city. This was at the end of my film career, so that's yep. why people haven't seen it, but I still have the footage. Yeah. But why do you think this particular area hasn't had more artists pop off, considering this area operates as one state. Yeah. I think that, um, to be honest, I think that now is the best time for the city, and it couldn't be a better time, right? How whack would it be if it was like, oh, yeah, we had some dope artists back in the days. Instead, it's like, yo, Bia's out, she got hits. Joyner's out, he's popping. Cousin Stiz just went gold. Millie's is popping. You got new kids like uh, Token and Van Buren Records and... Um, Shout token, he's dope. You know what I'm saying? There's so much going on from the city. Me and Static, you know, both moved out here and made our wave out here. Um, you know, there's 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 other people who are more behind the scenes that are writing for people like Post Malone and making beats, big big beats and shit. So I just think that you know I don't know what happened before, but I know that I've been in it for 20 years, and I know that when I first started coming to New York in 2004 and performing. There was no respect on any Boston artist's name. It was like, if you came out here, the only artist they really knew was like, let's say, Almighty Arasso, maybe Ed oh, OG. Like OG yeah. Maybe Ed OG, shit like that. And and, and those artists are dope, not, not taking nothing away from them, but they're old school, yeah. right? There's more beyond they're, that. They're, right, they're, but they were old school and grew 
was passed over as a Brooklyn artist because mm-hmm. he wasn't getting love in Boston. So he moved out here, recorded The Planet, mm-hmm. talking about Brooklyn. He linked up with Primo. They created a whole sound, the boom bap sound we use today. They f- brought that shit to the forefront. So I feel like Boston artists or New England artists in a, um, in a whole just kind of got lost in the sauce and didn't really know how to make the transition. And I think what changed all of that was the internet. Mm-hmm. Because I'm pre-internet, right? So there was a whole long... That's the reason why there's 14K slave mixtapes from 2006 to 2020. And I'm the only Massachusetts artist on these tapes. Because I was the only one that was making any noise outside of the city. To the point where K Slay would reach out and be like, "Now does get making on that. noise outside of the city consist of leaving the city? It's, a lot of it, artists, it needs to. a lot of artists get stuck in their town. It's it like, needs oh, to. I'm hot in the Bronx, right. I'm hot in this place. Yeah. So I just stay. It had a lot to do with that too, right? It had a lot to do with Static moving to NY in '04, me following him and moving out here in '07, and us just you know grinding every day in the city, making relationships, you know, getting our props, and, and just doing major shit all around the world and letting home hear about it instead of staying home. And trying to bring the world to home, we went around the world and brought our, you know, state to the world. But I think now with the internet, it's like shit. We always had the internet, but I mean now with like the type of social media we have, it's like anybody could pop. Like tomorrow, like anybody could pop. You seen what happened with Ice Spice? Like yeah. it just you, you could just come out of nowhere and you just pop. A trash record. Not, not yeah. And I like that girl. I'm not using her as a bad example. I'm just saying you could be like nobody heard of you, and then tomorrow and everybody you heard of you, right? Yeah. So I just feel like that that helps a lot now with just people going viral. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so I think that had a lot to do with the reason why, and also I think it had to do with a lot that a lot of dudes were grinding for a long time or people. Like, Bia had deals. She was working with, like, Pharrell and other people. And maybe you just didn't hear about her for years. And then when she finally got that big rest record with Russ, it was like she was out of here. And now she's here making hits all day. And we're so proud of her. And we're so happy to see her doing that. But, uh, yeah, for a long time, it was I was it was just me. It was me, maybe Slain, you know, Smoke Bolger. It was just maybe, like, three or four of us that was the only ones really getting, like, international love outside of the city. Sure. You're watching the Infamous Sound right now. If you're watching a Boom Bap Nation, happy Thanksgiving. I'm the Infamous Amadeus. Terminology is here. One of the things that I've always respected about you, I'm a big family person. right? I've, I've raised five kids. I mean, mm. good dad gang. Super. And I, I got to be a part of the first Billboard experience in right. Times Square. Yeah, you help with that. Um, let's talk about the good dad gang brand yeah. and, and what that represents to the sure. community. So good dad gang started as a hashtag on Instagram in 2014. Um, obviously I move around a lot. I was touring like crazy. And, um, uh, when I'm running around like that, you know, I got to give props to my daughter's mom's taking care of the kid all the time, taking them to school, you know, homework, getting them ready for bed. Just take, you know, you could send money back home, but that ain't being there. So, you know, uh, my thing was, I'm always there every birthday, Christmas, holiday, every type of holiday, graduation. I'm always there for the important times, but I'm also on tour. You know what I'm saying? I'm also driving to NY every Thursday to do radio. I'm also, you know, bouncing around wherever these opportunities come. So um, I say all that to say that Sundays were always my day, right? That was known as daddy-daughter day. So no matter how busy I was through the week, how many shows, how many studio sessions, I always took the kids on Sunday. And it started out as daddy-daughter day, and then it turned into a good dad game. And the hashtag, like, caught flame. It just it really, like, blew up, like, the name, like, fast on IG. And people started saying, like, hey, you should make a shirt or, or you know, make a hat. I'll buy one. And so I said, all right, yo, I went to the flea market. I made one shirt. I put it up. I'm like, yo, if I, if I, if I put this out, will y'all buy it? Mm-hmm. 
So like I want one, I want five, I need one for my dad, I need one for my husband, I need one for So boom, there was like forty right off the rip, it was like forty orders. And I'm like, all right. So I went and bought two hundred. Uh, I just had them in my trunk. I'm driving around the hood. I'm going around selling them to people. Mm-hmm. I ran through the 200 fast. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, all right, I need to trademark this. I need to copyright this. I need to um, start a corporation, an INC or an LLC. I need to get all the social media handles. I need to get a lawyer. I need to, you know, there's so much that needs to be done if I want to, you know, take this brand where I think it could go. And from 2014 to now, it's crazy. We got 100 tattoos that we know of. People tattooing the brand and logo all over them. We have a sneaker deal with Patrick Ewing. We have uh, collaborations with Gangstar and Diamond, you know, Diamond Supply. I mean, infinite celebrities, people like Jamie Foxx, co-signing it, wearing it every day to his movie shoots. And, uh, you know, different sports figures. And beyond all the celebrities and all the money we've made and all the cool collaborations, the things that really matter is just that we actually made such an impact, yeah. right? There's so many people that every day they hit me up, they tell me their struggles. Yo, I couldn't see my kid for this long, and now I see the kid, and I love my kid, and, you know, I wear the shirt every day, and my kid points out the shirt and says, look, that's me and you, Dad. And, you know, people ask me for advice, and people just really really love the brand and gravitate to it towards it and uh and we have like so many supporters all around the world and it means so much you know it's it's a conversation starter when you wear it people want to know about it if you you know had a good relationship with your dad you might be excited about it if you had a bad relationship with your dad you might not be excited about it you might look at it some kind of way but it's a good conversation to have because you know we need to try to do the best as we can as parents, right. even if we grew up with a bad relationship with our father or no relationship with our father. Sometimes that makes us a better father. Yeah. That's what happened in my case. For sure. And then when you navigate through that process because you're starting to start something specifically for the dads and when you have like Gangstar brand come in or you have Ewing Athletic comes in, like what does that mean to terminology as a person? Forget the rapper. To right. have a Ewing Athletics come in and co-sign that or Gangstar. <laughs> What means the world, bro. I'm a fan first, you know. I got 40 crates of vinyl, and I'm not a DJ. Mm -hmm. I got 3,000 CDs. I started collecting CDs when I was 14, and I still buy them. Nobody plays CDs anymore. I just buy them because I like hip-hop, and I like to collect. I'm just a collector, Mm -hmm. and I buy all kinds of shit, like whatever, merch, and uh, I still watch battle rap, like, you know, consistently watch whatever battle's coming out. I still go to concerts when I find out some of my favorite rappers or DJ Large Professor spinning an all-vinyl set. Yeah. Yo, we're going to watch Large Professor yeah. spin the vinyl. Like, I'm just a fan. So uh, starting out as a fan to link up with, like, some of my heroes and some of the people that have inspired me and some of, like, the greatest artists for them to co-sign my brand, collab with my brand, and, um, and kind of just push it forward. It just means the world to me. And on top of that, you know, you're talking about, you know, you got five kids. You take care of your kids, which I know I know right. to be true. You know, yeah. you're my friend outside of rap shit. You know, we talk here well, and there. I tell you I'm with my kids. You're yeah. with my kids. I'm doing this, that, and the third. So we're leaving a legacy for them. Mm-hmm. We're leaving things for them, right? And I tell my daughters all the time, I'm like, yo, I own three corporations. Mm-hmm. If I die tomorrow, y'all own three corporations. Yeah. Passing it on the right way. So y'all, so y'all got to hurry up and start understanding that and start getting ready to be a young CEO or getting ready to hire somebody to keep this shit going because, like, unfortunately, my parents didn't have no bread. and They didn't have no corporations or no legacy or no masters to no 40 albums. 
They didn't have to pass on to no no kind of financial thing to give Equity. me. Nothing yeah. at all. And I'm leaving all this stuff to them. So I'm I'm constantly like drilling it in their brain, like yo, look at this thing that I'm building, but yeah. but it's yours, it's not mine. Yeah. I only got a little bit of time left on yeah. this earth. It's yours, yeah. this is your shit now. You know how realistic is it at this point? Because um, we saw like a inf- like a influx of independent boom bap artists, quote unquote, 2018, 2017. We saw Spech come, we saw Griselda come. How realistic is it going into 2023 for a new lyrical artist? To emerge. I think now's the best time because, like I said, before you were searching for a deal and you needed a deal, and now you don't need shit, you know? You just need to prove to people that, you know, you belong here and you deserve to be here, and that's either the fans, the consumers, or the people within the industry, and, you know, just figure out your niche, figure out your way to stand out because it is always going to be a million people sounding the same. You turn on the radio, everybody sounds the same. You put on boom bap, everybody sounds the same. You hear drill, everybody sounds the same. You hear reggaeton, everybody sounds the same. So, yeah, of course it all sounds the same. But how can you stand out? And um, I think if you stand out, that's how you how you can last longer, yeah. being relevant. But I will say that, you know, don't let nothing stop you. Don't let no haters stop you. Don't let no doubt come, you know, towards your way. One thing that I thought was so cool and so special about, like, the resurgence of Boom Bap, you know, again in, like, the 2018 era and how popular it got, you know, with some of the guys like Griselda. One thing I thought that was so cool is that we didn't have to change and go back to sounding like that. Mm. We were already sounding like that the whole Mm. time. And so I thought that was cool for us because it was, like, we didn't have to change. Hip hop just started sounding like us again, yeah. and that that felt good for me. Ecstatic. Yeah. We have a very like older audience here at the Infamous Hour, and I remember growing up in the '90s where they kind of separated Latin rappers from normal rappers in a sense. So Facts. the big pun, like big pun, made it his his business to say the first Latin rapper to go platinum, or like the beat nuts kind of wasn't accepted. And I kind of didn't feel that because we kind of grew up in black neighborhoods in a sense, right? Absolutely. So we all grew up with Miss Jones and this. So what is the difference in your opinion? Because you came out, what, 04 or 03? Yeah, 05. My, my song with Tony Sunshine really, Desert Eagle, that was 05 in the yeah. summer of 05. Was that 05. on the DJ Khaled? Uh, that, was on, that was on like every mixtape in New York. But was that a DJ Khaled? It was, record? so what it really was, was DJ Khaled remixed to um, Ordinary People with John yeah. Legend. And then after that, it turned into Tony Sunshine remix and then mm. i did my verse on it and it just happened to be that the song with my verse on it blew up on every new york mixtape so the shit became like an underground hit like a summer anthem in new york and that's really when i started getting my buzz so oh five and then the next year was when i linked with primo for watch how i go down what would what would you say is the difference in, in a sense where when tony sunshine came in well he came in like 2000 but where pun came in in 98 to a Latin rapper now, do you think Latin rappers are more acceptive? Absolutely. Now? We hear we hear whole Latin we hear whole Spanish songs on Hot 97 now. Mm-hmm. That's that was not a thing, bro. And you know, Nori Nori helped a lot with that with, you know, with him doing the records he did with Daddy Yankee and Oye Mi Canto and all that. But more than that, it's like the success of somebody like Bad Bunny, the success of people like Cardi B, just her being Dominican, the success of like mixing Spanish and English rap in general. And before it didn't work or they didn't want to see it work. 
so they wouldn't let it work. And now it works so much that they're almost forcing you. They're like, well, where's the Spanish song? You know, there's... They don't care about the fans. They never did. So before they'd be like, well, we can't play the Spanish song because most of the people don't know Spanish. Yeah. But now it's like, fuck if they know Spanish. This shit got the, street, got the shit lit. Mm-hmm. So hell yeah. yeah. Let's play Bad Bunny all day. Who gives a fuck if the white people, black, Asian people, they don't know mm-hmm. what it says. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. It's making money. Keep it so that's what it's all about and that's what it's always been about. But in regards to Latins being accepted in hip hop, I mean, that was always something that I had a chip on my shoulder growing up in a Latin neighborhood, mm-hmm. predominantly Puerto Rican and Dominican neighborhood. That's something that always kind of bothered me for sure. And more than bothered me, just kind of like made me want to like go super hard to just be accepted as far as a, a reg, just a hip hop artist, not a Puerto yeah. Rican hip hop artist. Yeah. But I do feel like it's in a better space. It's in the best space that it's ever been mm-hmm. because for, for instance, in 05, when I was in New York and I was doing all them underground shows, the only cats buzzing in 05 that were really Puerto Rican was me and Joel Ortiz. Yeah. Pun died. Some of the older cats wasn't really making no noise. It was me and Joel. That was I remember. It was me and Joel. Mm-hmm. Then it was like you know, True Life. It was uh, shout out True Life. Shout out to True Life. It was True Life. It was um, Bodega Bams. It was a few more that came like right around the same time and was making noise, but it wasn't a lot of us. It was like five of us. Now it was like hundreds, mm-hmm. hundreds, bro. Hey, we outside. We stopped counting. <laughs> like people stopped counting. Yeah, which is great. The same thing. Like I feel like about Boston rap. Yeah. Right in the beginning. You know, New England rap, it wasn't a lot. And now it's there's so many. It's so lit now all over the world that it's like, shit. I'm just sitting back smiling. Like, people be like, damn, but, you know, doesn't that suck that that didn't happen for you? Nah, somebody got to pave the way, bro. Yeah, of course. I've been yeah. doing this for 20. Mm-hmm. Ain't no way it's going to be the same way in, two, in 2023 that it was in 04. Of course. It's yeah. impossible. Mm-hmm. So we just hope that people keep it going. That's all. Out of 45 albums, is there a particular project that you feel is your best project because i heard your new shit and i'm mm. like i don't know how he topped this one <laughs> thank you um like, i text my team my team is here i was like yo, yeah. <laughs> i sent them like yo this terminology joint is gas nah thank you yeah. man I, I work really hard on that one um you know i think that i think that there's something for everybody right when i did physiology with Lil fame from mop you're on a, a whole album with one of the best rappers in the world like Lil fame is one of the best rappers in the world and a producer. He, and producer. You don't know. But, you know, just spitting with little fame, there's a good chance he's going to wash you on the How song. How was that dynamic, like, not to cut you off, with MOP? Because yeah. I heard I heard a, a radio imaging on Shade where yeah. they record the project, like the verse backwards, so they go in and do the ad-libs <laughs> first. Nah, it's is, not. Is, is that, I don't know. Is that true? I don't know if they do some songs like that, but uh, speaking on the songs that I did with Bill and the songs that I did with, uh, with fame, um... They, they're very ad-lib heavy, as we all know, but they did the verse for parts first. first and and then, then they... But they're so heavy on the ad-libs, and it's so important. It's so special. It shows why. One one of the coolest things i ever seen was when I did one of the songs with Bill for their album, for the M.O.P. Foundation album. I did a verse on that album, and he went in the booth, and he his entire verse, every bar, he just went, Oh! <coughs> oh! The whole verse. Then he's like, give me another track. Oh, so you don't hear it. You hearing this rhyme. You're not even realizing that in the background, somebody's going, oh, oh. And so now I'm hearing it. And then he's like, all right, your turn. Go in there and do that. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have that energy. (laughs) He's like, nah, trust, go in there. So I'm like, shit, I'm in there trying to do my best MOP. And I'm just like, "Mm." 
you know, I just, instead I settle for like, let me ad-lib what I think I would sound good yeah. with. You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, man, they're really special and I have a lot of respect for them, as does everybody that's a real hip-hop head. And, um, you know, just doing an album with Little Fame was very challenging because it's like, bro, this is like the energy when you hear Annie up is mad hard to match. Like nobody. That's why they do festivals where 100,000 people yeah. and the whole fucking place is going insane. Similar they to going bonkers. Similar to Onyx with Slam. It's yeah. a very similar vibe. The Onyx shows are crazy. Nah, that's out of control. They're just they're Shout just out to of them control. too. Yeah. But probably my favorite, I can't give you a favorite. I'll probably say like the top five would be Physiology. That's one of them. Um, 1982 was static when we formed the group 1982 that was a real special time because we were both starting to like blow up in the, in the industry at the same time and people kind of like deemed us as the new gangstar which is weird because we don't want to necessarily take that but yeah. as time went on and it was like now we're on our seventh project it was like every 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 yeah. fucking post somebody's saying it yeah. so I understand what they're saying they're saying producer DJ that scratches yeah. hooks dudes from Boston came moved to New York I get it um, so yeah, so 82, Physiology, um, probably Politics as Usual, that was the one that really like first blew me up, that had like all the Primo Beats, the Pete Rock, the Alchemist, Prodigy, yeah. me and Prodigy did the song, R.I.P., those three, I'll just say those are my top three because I love all my albums. They're all my babies. You know, yeah. you don't, you got five kids, right? You can't, yeah, you you can't choose they're all hanging off a cliff. You ain't going to be like, well, you have 45. nice, nice day to you. Like, it's like you, <laughs> you holding them all. They're all your babies. But, uh, but I had moments in hip hop that, um, that I was kind of like dropping songs and nobody cared. Yeah. And then I had moments that it was like all the radio interviews. I'm on MTV. I'm on BET. I got Busta on my single. Yeah. I'm in the BET cypher with French Montana. I'm in Drake video standing next to Drake. So you got these highs and then you got these lows where you drop an album and nobody cares. Yeah. Or it just kind of goes under the radar and you'll go see people people see you in the street and be like, when you dropping something new, man? And like, <laughs> oh, I just dropped yesterday. Yeah. But you didn't notice. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's kind of crazy having that many projects because some of them are gonna be slept on yeah. and unsuccessful and then some of them shits is gonna be hella lit yeah. you know what I mean but those are those are three of my favorite yeah a uh, final question is there an album cap so do you come into these projects saying these are the amount of albums that I wanna record and then ultimately what do you want the terminology legacy to be no doubt damn I don't really have a number where I wanna quit I think that um, you know if I had to be truthfully honest with you like I have 10 albums done the problem is additional. They, they're done. Yeah, they're done. There's there's one with me and Planet Asia. There's one physiology part two. It's half done. Me and Paul Wall got eleven songs for our our follow up. Um, I got a compilation all all done and wrapped up. I got a turn makes beats mixtape. I got Fred the Godson R.I.P. on and there. You don't know you produce. You produce on the Wu Block. A lot of shit. Yeah, Wu I did. Block Erica Badu. Yeah, the Erica Badu. That was one of my biggest placements. I did one on Styles P album. Um, which I made that one myself because a lot of beats I make with my engineers and my homies The Erica Badu one is on the Wu Block That's on the Wu Block album. It's called Driving Around. Yeah, so shout out to Sheik Looch. Shout out to Wu-Tang. Driving Around. Thank you, Dad. That's probably my biggest, one of my biggest beats is that one. Um, The Styles P joint. I did two on Sheik Looch, Silverback, Gorilla, part two. Um, I did did some shit for Pain. Um, I did one for the kid El Camino. Mm -hmm. I did one for I did one for Nori and Bodega Bams that never came out. That shit is crazy. It's called Drink Like a Puerto Rican. Maybe that shit'll come out one day. But yeah, um cliche. Yeah, so yeah, facts. <laughs> but now nah, um as far as the terminology legacy, man, I just you know, I feel like I feel like people are, are are starting to really give me my flowers and they know that, you know, I'm not necessarily just doing this shit for bread or or shit like that. Like 
nobody just does all that work just for a dollar. Yeah, of course. Because yeah. there's so many there ways we can get money. It. Yeah, you you would have gave up, you know, or you would have found another way to make money, which I do. I make money in all kind of avenues. You know what I'm saying? I own three companies. Um, I ghostwrite. I produce. I own a studio in Brooklyn. It's called Thomas Money Studio. Um, you know, I own publishing companies. I do all kinds of shit. I'm signed to Monster Energy as an artist. I own Good Dad Gang. I mean, the list goes on and on. But, uh, but as far as, like, the caps on the albums... I used to kind of want to get to 50, but now that I got like about 55 done, I think I'm going to go for 100. 100. 100 out. 100. Yeah, yeah. So, we'll see. Right. This is Infamous Sound. host the Infamous Sound, but Dan's Terminology is here. They want to follow you on all social media platforms where they can follow you at. At Terminology ST, and if you know a good dad, at Good Dad Gang. Yeah. And you know, I, I, before we close, I, I never got to formally thank you because when I was trying to figure out how I was going to transition from radio to an artist, you were the first person I called. Mm. And uh, and shout out to him because he got me my first interview on Static Selector right. with Destroy. Dope. And I was shitting bricks, I ain't gonna lie. I was in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and look at you now. Yeah, look at us now. We're all so, proud um, of you, bro. And, 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 and you're a friend of our show and we're a friend of your show and, and it's love, man. We're gonna keep it uh, going. Thank you, man. So once again, this is Infamous Hour here on Bull Bap Nation Facebook. Happy Thanksgiving to y'all. Happy make Thanksgiving. Sure you, make sure you subscribe on Spotify, Out Heart Radio, much more. Until next time, stay safe and stay COVID-19 free. See you then. Thank <laughs> you.